0: Turn now in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 14, which will be our sermon text this morning. We're continuing in our series through the book of Leviticus, and this morning we will be looking at chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 32. This is God's holy word. You would do well to give it your full attention. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him what is to be cleansed, two live, clean birds, and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in the earthenware vessel over, over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who, is, he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering, along with the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering, in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest, it is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and dip his right ear in the oil that is in his left hand and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of The right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. "'Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. "'But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, "'then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waved, to make atonement for him, "'and a tenth of, the, of an ephah FI of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and a log of oil. "'Also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. "'The one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering.' And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of the oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot." And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hands he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, along with the grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is being cleansed. This is the law of him in whom is a case of leprous disease, who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Leviticus 14 is a continuation of the law on leprosy. Now, last Lord's Day, we began looking at these laws for leprosy, and we noted the symbolism of both leprosy and the symbolism for the tabernacle. Leprosy symbolized the state of man under sin. A leprous person was unclean, just as sin makes all of mankind unclean. Now, the tabernacle symbolized heaven. It was like a projection of heaven down to earth. And therefore, it was the place where God dwelt among his people on earth. Now, in order for God to dwell in the midst of his people, they had to be clean. And so how in the world would this be possible since all of mankind became unclean after Adam's sin in the garden? Well, Israel as a nation had been made ceremonially clean at their redemption from Egypt and through the covenant that was sealed with them at Mount Sinai. And so the nation, therefore, was clean and fit to draw near to God at the tabernacle. Now having said that, if someone became unclean by, say, a leprous disease, then they were removed from the holy community. And could no longer draw near to God at the tabernacle. And so they needed to be cleansed once again. And what we will find this morning as we move through this sermon. Is that cleansing rituals. The cleansing rituals that Israel experienced as a nation. Are basically repeated. Repeated. For a person that has been healed from leprosy. These cleansing rites made the person fit again to draw near to God at the tabernacle. They had been made clean as a nation through their redemption from Egypt. But if they contracted a leprous disease or something unclean that made them go outside of the community. Then they would undergo these cleansing rites should they be healed from the leprous disease in order to draw them back into the community. And so this morning we will begin by summarizing the instructions for cleansing healed lepers. And then we will draw out some of the connections between Israel's cleansing as a nation and that of a leper's cleansing. And finally, we will comment on what this means Today, for those of us who live in the new covenant. And so we begin with the instruction for the cleansing of healed lepers. Now, the first thing really to take note of here is that the instructions given to the priests were not curative. If the person believed that they were cured of the disease, they were to go to the priest who merely examined the person to determine if the person had indeed been cured. And so Israel understood that healing from this disease did not come from any man, but came from God. The priest was uh, something like a, a health inspector. It was God who healed the person. Therefore, they were to go to God in prayer, depending upon him and asking for his will to be done in healing them of this particular disease. And so the priests were merely responsible for determining that the person had been healed. And then to carry out the proper rituals to readmit the person back into the community. Now, what are those rituals or what are those cleansing rites? Well, once the person determined or the priest determined that the person had been healed, then the ritual process really took place in two stages. The first stage of cleansing began outside of the camp where the person had been living as an exiled member of the community. Before he could re-enter the camp, the priest came to the leper outside of the community or outside of the camp and ordered him to bring two clean birds, either dove or pigeons, and also bring cedar wood, a scarlet cord, hyssop, and an earthenware vessel filled with water. And with those items, the healed leper was first to kill one of the birds and mix its blood in the water that was in the earthenware vessel. He would then take the scarlet cord and bind the wood and the hyssop together. Now, hyssop was a small, bushy, or scraggly plant that Israel used to sprinkle blood on certain objects. Uh, It was used in our our prayer, uh, the confession of prayer this morning. You know, uh, sprinkle me with clean water, with hyssop, and I'll be clean. And so with the hyssop bound to the cedar wood, it would be dipped into the blood that had been mixed with the water, and then it was to be sprinkled upon the healed leper seven times. And then the live bird was to be dipped in the mixture of blood and water and released into the open field. And after this, the priest would pronounce the person clean and command him to wash his clothes, shave off his hair, and to bathe himself. And after doing this, he could re-enter the camp. As they traveled around, as a camp through the wilderness as they were wandering to enter into the land of Canaan. So after this, the person could re-enter the camp. But he had to remain outside of his own dwelling, that is his own tent, for seven days. And on the eighth day, he then had to reshave the hair of his body, wash his clothes, and bathe himself again. And then he was able to return to his own dwelling or his tent. That was stage one. Now the second stage took place at the entrance of the tent of meeting, or at the entrance of the tabernacle. The healed leper was to bring two male lambs and one ewe. That is, one lamb that was a year old, a ewe. And so you have three lambs and three different sacrifices, one for a reparation, also known as a guilt offering, one for a purification, or also known as a sin offering, and one for a burnt offering. And in addition to these offerings, he was also to bring some grain for a grain or a cereal offering. And beyond this, the only thing to point out is simply that if the person cannot afford all of these lambs, then the birds could be used instead of the lambs for all of these offerings. That is, for all of them except for the reparation or the guilt offering. A lamb had to be used for that offering. And so that is all explained in verses 21 through 32, if the person could not afford it. 21 through 32 is really just re-explaining the process, but with birds instead of lambs. And now that we have covered the significance or covered the instructions here of these offerings here in Leviticus. I don't plan on going into detail about them because we covered all of them in the first few chapters of Leviticus. We covered all of the symbolism and the significance of what those offerings meant. If, if the memory's a little fuzzy, you can go back and listen to those sermons. I won't go into detail here about them all again. At this point, okay, so I mentioned that these cleansing rites were basically repeating the cleansing rituals that Israel as a nation underwent when they were redeemed from Egypt and when they were brought into covenant with the Lord as a nation. And there's a few things that can be highlighted to demonstrate the connection between Israel's cleansing as a nation and a leper's cleansing when he was being readmitted into the community. The first thing to highlight is that hyssop was used in order to sprinkle the leper clean. Well, the first time that we see hyssop being used in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. That is the chapter that gives the account of the very first Passover. The Lord was going to bring Israel out of Egypt by putting to death the firstborn children of the Egyptians. You remember, as he was uh, redeeming them from Egypt, that tenth and final plague was to put to death the firstborn children. And so the Lord told Israel to take hyssop, dip it in blood, and then smear the blood on the doorposts and the lintels of their homes. Now, when the destroying angel went throughout Egypt, he would pass over the homes that had the blood smeared on them, but the houses that did not have the blood, he entered and put the firstborn son of that household to death. Now, all of the Hebrew people had used hyssop to sprinkle the blood on their doorposts. But the Egyptians... Had not. And so the firstborn sons of the Egyptians died. And this prompted Pharaoh then to let Israel go. And it was in this way that God redeemed them from Egypt by the blood of a lamb. Now you have to understand that it was not as if the Egyptians were these great sinners. While the Israelites were we're not. No, the Israelites were sinners, worthy of death just as much as the Egyptians. But God redeemed the Israelites by providing them a way of redemption through the blood of a lamb. We can put it this way. Even though the Israelites were sinners, God cleansed them from their sins Through the sacrificial blood. And so the Israelites understood that they could not cleanse themselves of their sin. They could not heal themselves from their sinfulness. Any more than a leper can change his spots. No, God must redeem. He must heal. He must cleanse. And that was what was being symbolized by the hyssop being sprinkled on the healed leper. Namely, that God is the one who heals. God is the one who makes clean by the blood of a sacrifice. Now, the second thing that we might highlight is that Israel was more vividly shown to be cleansed at the establishment of the covenant that God made with them at Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 24, God sealed the covenant with Israel through shed blood, the shed blood of an animal that was sprinkled upon the altar and then secondarily sprinkled upon the people. Well, similarly, blood was sprinkled on the altar in those offerings, those sacrifices that were made, and then smeared upon the healed leper from head to toe in order to demonstrate his cleansing. You heard on the right ear and the thumb and the, the toe and those things. So from head to toe, he was covered with the blood of the animal. It was sprinkled upon him. One commentator stated the connection this way, the connection that is between Israel's cleansing as a nation and a leper's cleansing. He said this, The second stage in re-sanctifying a leper involved a real sacrifice and further blood smearing. Similar rites accompanied the ratification of the Sinai covenant. At Sinai, at Mount Sinai, the whole nation had become holy. If later, as a result of sin, an individual became unclean, He had to reenact the process of sanctification, end quote. And so hopefully you can see that Israel had been already cleansed by God. They were fit, they had been made fit to draw near to him in worship at the tabernacle where he dwelt. But if a person such as a leper became unclean, Then he must look to God to heal him. And then reenact those cleansing rites that Israel first received when they became God's nation. And so he had to be cleansed once again. Now I hope you have already begun to see how these things foreshadowed or prefigured the person and work of Jesus Christ. I also hope you can see how much better Christ's work is than what Israel experienced under the old covenant. Those were merely types and shadows only to take place for a certain time. They weren't meant to do the actual cleansing. They were meant to point forward to Christ who himself cleanses us. We who are believers today who live in the new covenant which has been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God without blemish. Because of His perfect sacrifice, we have been cleansed once for all. And so there aren't any more laws that require us to continually make offerings to God for our uncleanness. Jesus... Is that offering. And so we may continually confess our sin. As we do each Lord's Day. And which you ought to be doing also in your own private lives. We continually confess our sin. But we do so looking to the right hand of God. Where Jesus Christ. The perfect Lamb of God. Has made purification for our sins once for all. As it says in Hebrews 1 3. And in Leviticus 14, both the blood of the lamb and the birds foreshadowed that reality. See, they were shadows of the reality that was to come in Christ. It was his shed blood that forgives the sins of not only the new covenant people, but also those in the old. Now, we've already discussed in earlier chapters the symbolism of the lamb being sacrificed in those different offerings. But let's take just a moment this morning to look at the symbolism of the two birds. See, the first bird was killed and its blood was poured into an earthenware vessel and mixed with fresh water. Now... The word there in your Bibles, you may have seen a little a footnote beside it. The word translated fresh literally means living or alive. In other words, they were to use water that was alive and running in a stream as opposed to dead water that, it, that sits stagnant in a pool. And that is what was to be mixed with the blood in, an, in the earthenware vessel. They were to go to a river, a flowing river, a live red river, a moving river. It was considered to be living water. They were to take that water to put in the earthenware vessel and mix with the blood. Now, these things here are all shadows and types of the Son of God who came in the flesh. The fullness of God, beloved, was pleased to dwell In the earthenware vessel of his human nature. Scripture at one place likens man's body to an earthenware vessel or to a clay jar, to clay pots. Now, living water in scripture symbolizes the life-giving spirit. For example, in our New Testament reading this morning. In John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. And so... Here in Leviticus chapter 14, what we have is a picture or a symbol of Christ, the earthenware vessel in his human nature. Uh, it's a picture of him in his earthenware vessel in whom the Holy Spirit was stored as a well of living water. And so when the leper is sprinkled with the mixture of blood and water from the earthenware vessel, it is a picture of our being sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, on the one hand, and receiving the Holy Spirit whom Christ pours out upon us to give us new life, on the other hand. Interestingly, John 19 verse 34 records that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. Beloved, Christ is the fountain from which His blood is sprinkled out to cleanse us from our sins and from which the living waters of life are poured out upon us by His Spirit. It is Christ who pours out His Spirit upon us, the Spirit who gives us life. You see, the flesh... Of the leper was flesh that was rotting away. He was alive, but his flesh was rotting and decaying like the body of a dead man. In Numbers chapter 12 verse 12, when Miriam contracted leprosy, Aaron says, Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away. And so leprosy was like a living death. When a person was healed of leprosy, it was like being raised from the dead. Or like being born again. It's no wonder then that Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he tells them, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. You see, we must recognize that we are dead because of sin. We are like lepers because we experience a living death. We experience this because of sin. We're all conceived from our conception. We have sin. There is sin present. We have a sin nature and therefore experience a living death. Physically, we may be alive. But our soul is dead because of sin. And that is how we come into this world. And because of it, we need to be born again of the water. And of the Spirit, Jesus tells the woman at the well that whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the life that is given by the Spirit whom Christ pours out. And that, beloved, is what is pictured by the living water in Leviticus 14. And along with that living water, one must also receive the cleansing that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, who takes away our sin. And our text symbolizes that in one other way, by the release of the live bird. You see, it was dipped in the blood of the bird that was killed and then released into the open field, symbolizing our sin being carried away, removed from us as far as the east is from the west. So God no longer remembers our sin. He takes away our sin. And so the two symbols of blood and water display the twofold grace of God in justification And sanctification. Listen to the way John Calvin puts this. He writes, Christ brought the true atonement and the true washing. For on the one hand, forgiveness of sins and justification. And on the other hand, the sanctification of the soul. Were prefigured in the law by those two symbols. Sacrifices and washings. In sacrifices, blood atoned for sins and was the ransom for appeasing the wrath of God. Washings were the tokens of true holiness and the remedies for taking away uncleanness and removing the pollutions of the flesh. And so the blood symbolizes our being justified, our sins being taken away, that we might be declared as just, as being guiltless, even though we are guilty of sin. We are justified. That is shown by the blood. But the washing with water, the water symbolizes our receiving of new life, the living water, the Holy Spirit which gives us life unto a new, holy Way of living. In other words, it speaks of our sanctification, our being made holy. And if I could speak for just a moment to the latter of these two, to our sanctification, in our sanctification, there is a process. Of making us humble. We've already noted that healing from leprosy only came from God. Which influenced the leper to depend upon God. You see dependence upon another requires humility. And so there's an aspect with the law. The law with respect to lepers that deals with humility. In our holy living. And if I could, for just a moment, just show you that throughout Scripture, there's a running theme that accompanies leprosy. And that running theme is, again, humility. Several places throughout Scripture, we find when a person contracts leprosy, that it was related to pride in their life. And the one who became leprous was humbled. From that pride. For example, God made Miriam, as I spoke of earlier, made her leprous because she was jealous of Moses' superior authority. God spoke directly to him, whereas he spoke indirectly to Miriam and to Aaron, and this hurt her pride. And so perhaps the Lord's manner of disciplining Miriam with leprosy was in order to humble her. Another example comes from Naaman the leper in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman was a mighty commander in the Syrian army and presumably very prideful. And this is demonstrated, I think, in the text for when he went to the Israelite prophet to be healed. The prophet Elisha told him to go and to bathe in the waters of the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman who was a Syrian not a Jew was angered by the instructions that he was given he said are not abana and farpar the rivers of damascus better than all the waters of israel in other words are not the rivers in my own country better than the ones in israel you see his pride And so in his pride, he began to leave without bathing in the Jordan, without following the prophet's instructions. But one of his lowly servants convinced him to do it. And as he did, his flesh was restored. His leprosy healed. And then after that point, he believed only in the God of Israel and sacrificed only to him. For the rest of his days. It took him being humbled. And washing himself in a foreign river. For him to trust. In the Lord. The last example that I'll give to you this morning. Concerns Job. Whose skin conditions. Appear to fall within the range of descriptions given of leprosy. Job of course was. Truly a follower of the Lord, but he was indeed brought low from his position of honor and authority for a time. And this occurred in several ways, not the least of which was the sores that covered Job's body from head to foot. Job was shown to be righteous in a state of humiliation, and then afterwards he was exalted. He never cursed the Lord. He repented Towards the end of the book. And was afterwards exalted. And so he was taught to depend upon God for everything. For the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But you are to depend upon the Lord. He was taught to take from God the good as well as the bad. To not think too highly of himself. But to recognize that he was of small account. He learned to repent in dust and ashes when his mind and his words were not in accord with God's wisdom and counsel. And it was only after he learned these things that he was then exalted. And so he was humbled before he was exalted. You see, beloved, God not only justifies those who believe on Christ, He not only forgives their sins. He not only considers them not guilty or justified, but he also sanctifies them, which he accomplishes by the power of the Holy Spirit who humbles us. That is, he raises new believers up by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life, to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But this does not happen apart from your dependence upon the spirit poured out upon you by Christ. This, beloved, takes humility. Knowing that you are weak. But that he is strong. And so if, beloved, you are struggling in certain areas of your sanctification, then ask the Lord to show you where your pride is standing in the way. Ask Him to remind you of the living death in which you once walked and ask Him to humble you and to give you grace to be holy as He is holy. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. To Him... all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would indeed humble us. That you would remind us the way that we came into the Lord. And also of the grace that you have given to us. To forgive us of our sins. And to cause us to walk in a new and living way. Lord, if there are those who know you not here this morning, we pray that your spirit would work the word just preached in their lives. That they might be humbled and know that you are God and you alone. That they would bow before you and profess their faith in you. Lord, let us all continue to be humbled in our lives. And so walk in accordance with your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.